From Irmo to Istanbul, from Taipei to Tunisia, we tell the stories of the people who make the world of international disputes turn. We give glimpses into their lives and give insights from their experience. These accounts come from every sector and every industry from around the globe. Simply put, and without further ado, I am Chris Campbell, and you're listening to Tales of the Tribunal, where practice meets personality. Welcome back to Tales of the Tribunal. I'm your host, Chris Campbell. And if you're here, hopefully it's because you want to hear another tale, another story from around the wide, wide world of international law, arbitration, and business. And that's exactly what we're going to get into. I hope you enjoyed the episode last week. It was a fun way to kick off season five of the show. So let's keep this moving right along. But before we get into introducing today's guest, I want to mention an important initiative that you may have seen mentioned earlier this week on LinkedIn. That is the Association of Black Arbitration Professionals, also known as ABAP, which is an organization dedicated to creating a resource for members of the black diaspora to be recognized for their expertise in the realm of dispute resolution and in particular arbitration. The website for the organization will go live next week on June 19th, a.k.a. Juneteenth, where you can find more information. And one of the things we are most excited about is an interactive and dynamic database where members can list their experience in arbitration and dispute resolution so that interested persons can search them out. We are putting the finishing touches on the database and are excited to share all of the developments with you soon. So keep an eye out and be sure to follow us on the website and LinkedIn once they go live. All right, let's jump into introducing this week's guest. This week's guest is an independent mediator and arbitrator with extensive experience acting in both capacities and doing counsel work before that. She has also been one of the most effective people I have ever seen on LinkedIn in terms of connecting with the broader LinkedIn legal community and developing a familiar and trusted brand. Her name is Winter Wheeler. And if you're not familiar with her, she was an early adopter of virtual hearings and really cultivated a reputation for being accessible and efficient during the pandemic through her innovative use of technology. We had a great conversation. And if you're interested in being a mediator or an arbitrator, you should absolutely grab your notepad and take a bunch of notes. There's a bunch of great information in this interview. So sit back, boot up your listening device of choice and enjoy my conversation with Winter Wheeler. And we'll see you on the other side of the show. Hello and welcome back to Tales of the Tribunal with Chris Campbell. I'm your host, Chris Campbell, here to tell you another tale, another story from around the wide, wide world of international law, business, and dispute resolution. Listeners, welcome to Season 5. It's so good to be back with you, and we've got a very special guest with you, with us today to start our newest season with. I've got, and I'm speaking, of course, of Miss Winter Wheeler. Winter, welcome to the show. Wow, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited to have you here, and this is uh, an episode we've been excited to record and get set up. So um, as they will have heard in the intro just a few moments ago before we started um, this segment of the show, um, you have a fascinating story, and you are a fellow podcaster. So a tip of the cap to my fellow podcaster here, and why don't we start with the questions that we ask all of our listeners or all of our guests here in the studio? Who are you? 
Where are you from? What do the people need to know? Awesome. Uh, so I, I'm Winter. Uh, People are always like, oh, do you have a nickname? Like, do I need a nickname? My name is Winter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty easy. Um, I'm from Miami, Florida. Uh, grew up down there. I, I you know, kind of came and went, you know, went to college, went to D.C., went to Georgetown, uh, spent some time living in Madrid, uh, went to law school in New Orleans. I'm kind of a kind of a nomad. I've lived in so many different places. Uh, but I ultimately settled in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, with my family. So really, at the end of the day, I'm a mommy. <laughs> I'm a mommy yeah. to four, four little ones. Um, my husband, of course, he's around too. <laughs> <laughs> he's here. Um, and I am, other than that, primarily a mediator. I am a super dedicated, hardworking mediator always out to uh, help people resolve problems. Um, it's truly my passion and I I really don't know what I would be doing otherwise. And I could tell you I would not be very happy if I was still on my other path, which was as a defense attorney, uh, civil litigator. So yeah, that's me, that's me. Well, that's fantastic. That's a great um, sort of uh, origin story. Um, let's let's uh, rewind and, and take a couple of those pieces. Did you know that you always wanted to be a lawyer, that you wanted to go to law school and do all that? God, no. God, no. <laughs> uh, I come from a family with several, several lawyers. So it's like, you know, it was either be a doctor or a lawyer. And I am terrible at science and really bad with numbers and very squeamish. So that left me with lawyer, <laughs> sure. um, but didn't really want to do that. So I kind of wanted to forge my own path. I wanted to go uh, into the foreign service, which is how I ended up going to Georgetown undergrad. I was in the school of foreign service. Um, I, as part of my training in that program, I moved out to, to Spain. Um, and I was there during 9-11, um, and mm. that kind of gave me a whole new perspective of what it was like to live abroad and what it might continue to look like. And I ultimately decided that that is not what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I'm grateful that I was able to make that decision at the time that I did because um, I still had time to easily <laughs> transfer into something else. Uh, so I quickly uh, kind of came back to the States and said, all right, so what does one do kind of as a natural progression out of this? Um, and that was law school. All of my other friends were going to law school. Law school was something I knew my parents would be cool with. Um, and so that's yeah. what I ended up doing. Like as unremarkable of a story as that is, <laughs> that's, what, that's what happened. I didn't know so what else the, the to old do. adage of like, you know, my mom, everyone else is doing it. In this case, it was everyone else is going to law school. Everyone was going to law school. Yeah, at least it was something positive. You know, at the very <laughs> least, I thought even if I don't like law school or, or I don't like being a lawyer, I will be able to provide for myself. It's, it's, a, it's a real career. <laughs> 
Sure, and indeed you did. And well, and so let's let's keep tra- taking that thread along a little bit. So you go to law school um, after you know nixing the foreign service idea, and you find yourself in the world of ADR eventually. How how does that um, how did that happen? I mean, did you know it sounded like from another answer you had is that you were in civil defense um, for a while. What was that? Um, how did you make that jump, or what what sort of pulled you into that world? So I started practicing law in South Florida. I was in Miami. And mediation is mandatory for every civil case. So I spent a whole lot of time in mediations trying to resolve cases uh, on the defense side. And I got such a high off of helping people resolve cases because they always got so excited and like relieved. And it just made me feel good that I was part of that. So I thought, you know, it would be really awesome to do this every day and be the mediator who who facilitates all of this. So I got uh, involved with one of the mediators I worked with a lot. And that's just I just asked him, like, hey, how how does a young attorney go about doing this? I mean, it was my first year of practice. I graduated in 06. So this is, you know, 06, 07 that I'm having these conversations. So I, I realized it really early on. Um, and then kind of designed a plan to get myself where I wanted to be. I knew kind of what I wanted my life to look like. So I was essentially working backwards. Um, I wanted to be, you know, a top mediator, top arbitrator, you know, all around ADR professional. You know, how do you go about that? How do you make that what you do every single day? Um, And I know it it's nearly impossible. <laughs> it's a nearly impossible feat. So I knew it was going to take a whole lot of work and a whole lot of dedication. Uh, and I, I mean, I plugged away in the law firms from until, until 2019. So, I mean, that was some dedication right there. That was 12 years of, uh, I get practice. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I would call it. It was 12 years before I went ahead and did it. That's that's definitely practice. Um, <laughs> and so and so right along with that same point. Um, so so at this point, you don't do any counsel work or you do you still take some uh, clients in that regard uh, from time to time? I do not. I do not. Not at all. Uh, in 2019, when I decided I was going to go ahead and uh, mediate. I just took the leap. I quit my job and that was it. So <laughs> I don't, I don't, yeah, so I, I don't uh, litigate anymore. I don't counsel anybody, um, you know, other than like the random friend who calls from high school, like, hey, I haven't talked to you in 20 some years. <laughs> I have a question. Like, sure. Let me ask one free legal advice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, well, I got five minutes. What do you need? No, that's fair. So I retired. I like to say (laughs) retired on the jersey. Got it. Right. (laughs) So you know, I I will say, um, you know, when I first started seeing, I think your content online was probably around that time, 2019. And you know, I think just for me and um and being aware of your brand, it seems like you like really were living your best life and thriving during the pandemic and professionally. Um, in terms of growing uh, your reputation. Can you tell us yeah. some about that? How did that come to be? How did you do that? Uh, desperation, necessity, and lack of other options. 
you know, it was crazy. So you know, typically for a mediator, you know, people want to hire mediators that they like, that they know, um, that they are, they know they'll be comfortable with for eight hours in a day, or they know that their client is going to be comfortable with this particular person. Um, and so that's hard. Like, so during the pandemic, obviously I'm not going anywhere. So how do I put myself in a position where I'm still meeting people um, and not just cold calling them and asking them to chat with me? Um, and that was just a very rapid fire social media campaign and presence. Um, and thank God it worked because, like I said, I had nothing else, <laughs> nothing mm. else going on at that at that time. Um, but thankfully, I, I really enjoyed doing that stuff. Um, I just kind of threw myself into uh, trying to provide value for clients and prospective clients and anybody that I wanted to meet to help you know help me grow in the industry. And so uh, being online was really the easiest way to do that. You know, if you're on like Facebook or LinkedIn at this point in time, it's not like odd to um, it's not odd to request people that you are tangentially connected to or um, perhaps you might have some overlapping groups or something like that. You don't necessarily need to have met them. Um, to get the whole conversation started. And so I spent a lot of time just trying to reach out to people in that very generic way and making sure that, you know, if and when they came upon my content, it was meaningful and that hopefully they would find value in it and, and at least be curious about what it is that I actually do. And then, you know, I spent a lot of that time kind of and I had never heard of Zoom before. So I know a lot of people had. But, you know, I always worked in the office. I, I didn't have all of this like set up like I didn't know what I was doing. So I had to learn about Zoom and quickly got comfortable with it. We started doing online mediations um, and then I started training lawyers on how to do it. Because, I mean, you know, lawyers are often super slow to adopt new things. So I put myself out there. Uh, started training folks, getting them comfortable with the platform. And, um, the, you know, and then so that turned into bookings and um, people saying, oh, well, let me get you in contact with, you know, this firm or that firm and this friend. And it just kind of snowballed and it worked out really well. Um, and at the same time, you know, I was able to meet a whole group of women um, who were essentially trying to build their own businesses at, at like brand new businesses at the same time. And so we kind of stuck together and pushed each other and we were all across the country. And so we helped develop opportunities for each other and for ourselves as, as a group. And uh, we ended up writing a book together. And so that turned into, you know, an online book tour, which was very, very cool, which got me you know, uh, FaceTime with more law firms and more women's groups and, and things like that. Um, I feel like I have overly answered your question. <laughs> <Don't know. laughs> there, there are so many off ramps and like things to follow up on there. So we're going to try try and do that. Um, let's start with the last thing. You, you wrote a book, book tour. Was there an online tour bus? I mean, we'll, we'll, you know, <laughs> no, well, tell us more was, about the book. Yeah, so it's called Hashtag Networked. 
Um, it did become an Amazon um, number one bestseller, which was super cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, but it was uh, the group of us, 20 women lawyers, and we wrote about how we were keeping our businesses going and what we were doing and how we were supporting each other during the pandemic. Um, and it became... I, I wasn't anticipating what it turned into, but women and men alike were very inspired by our stories. Um, uh, wow. And I mean, I was beyond inspired by the other women's stories and they kind of helped propel me too. And so we just started being approached by, you know, different uh, law firms, women's groups, um, come talk to the the women in our office uh, about perseverance and, and things like that. And it was fabulous. And, and through that process, I also um, ended up doing two TEDx talks. And a lot of that had to do with my online presence and people kind of already seeing me and knowing what I was like and knowing what my delivery would be like. And so just kind of snowballed and like propelled and, and moved forward um, just kind of on like on top of each other, really. And so we um, the group of us all being from, you know, different parts of the country, different areas of the law, we ended up in completely different spaces, you know, spaces I probably would not even have known existed um, or certainly wouldn't have readily been given access to. Um, but with the kind of backing and blessing of some of the other women who were involved, other people were, were glad to say, oh, well, we would love to see her. We would love to talk to Winter. We'd love to mediate with her. And, and you know, it just turned into so many different opportunities. It sounds like it. Now, we talked a lot about mediation. Um, do you also do arbitration, too, or maybe conciliation or anything else like that? I, I do arbitrations. Um, not as frequently. Mediation is certainly what people know me for and can, and seek me out for. But yeah, I definitely do arbitrations. I also, you know, I'll go into companies and help them, you know, work out disputes between, you know, employees and, you know, working with coworkers and all that kind of stuff too. So wherever there is a dispute to be had, I'm there. <laughs> to help work it through, whether it's me providing you with suggestions and support to get you where you need to be, um, or actually giving you a decision on what it needs to be based on the facts, the law, uh, I'm there for that as well. So definitely do both. Well, that, that's really interesting. And I think, you know, one another thing that I've got here that I, I wanted to get your perspective on is is something you also just mentioned a moment ago, and that is the sort of rise of of online hearings. That was something that I think prior to the pandemic, you know, was something that was like occasionally done. Maybe if somebody was like stuck somewhere, or like house arrest or bed rest or something, and, and now it's <laughs> and now it's commonplace. Yeah, which is fabulous. It's fabulous. Um, so you know, in in Georgia where I'm physically located now, we didn't at least in my practice, ever have um, virtual hearings. We might occasionally have a phone conference with the judge, uh, but that mm -hmm. was not routine. It was somebody's done something stupid. I don't really want to have a hearing on it. Let's see if we can figure it out before it gets to that point. Uh, so it's been it's been a huge shift. 
uh, in how we, um, you know, conduct our business. And I really have seen the huge impact that it's had on women and parents. Uh, it makes it so much easier for us to be able to take care of our families and our children. Uh, I, I can't imagine these virtual hearings and things going away at this point without huge upset to the way a lot of people have kind of changed their lives to change their lives to accommodate um, this new technology. I mean, it's really been a blessing. Um, and, you know, it was, Bad goal, kind of going back to what was happening during the pandemic, um, I think a lot of women realized I can, I can, or I'm in a better position to socialize with my coworkers. This is not me having to go out after drinks, uh, go out after work for drinks. I don't have to give up going to pick up my kid from school. Like this is all happening online. It feels more comfortable. I'm at, I'm in my home. I'm safe. I don't have to worry about what might happen if so-and-so drinks too much. Um, and so that that made a huge impact on women. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sure other other groups as well, but being a woman, that's what I'm going to talk about, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> made a huge impact on our ability to be seen and heard um, in, a, in a less formal setting in the workplace. Well, right. And so I wonder then over the last year, maybe a little bit longer, we started to see everyone is rushing back to try and go to pre-pandemic life. Now, I have my own feelings about that. I don't necessarily think that's completely a good thing. There's some things we should definitely learn from the pandemic. And I wonder if that's had any impact on some of the things that you just mentioned. Have people just gone straight back to it? Or is there some hangovers or holdovers from the the pandemic that are still around? And do you think that's a good thing? Yeah, in my experience, I'm seeing a lot of people not going back to their pre-pandemic lifestyles. Uh, I know there was a strong push for a lot of law firms to get their folks back in the office. And there was just, I mean, for lack of a better word, um, there were mutinies about it. <laughs> it just mm-hmm. it didn't work. It didn't happen. There was no way they were going to be able to get everybody back into the office in the same in the same fashion, we knew at that point face to face was not crucial. Work was getting done. It was productive. Um, was it ideal for the employers? I mean, I guess for the old guard, they thought no. Um, but you're relying on, you know, a younger group of people who got very used to the perks of being able to work from home and taking that from them meant you were going to lose them in your workforce. So I know that those initial kind of uh inclinations to go back to the old ways they had to they had to backtrack on a lot of that because of the pushback so you know i'm thrilled about it i know a lot of the attorneys i work with every day they are happier about it i'm able to accommodate them wherever they happen to be you know i've i've actually been able to do uh, to conduct mediations from out of the country. Um, it really doesn't matter where I am. Um, I needed to take my kids to, and needed to take my kids to Panama. I don't know if need is the word, but I took my children to Panama. <laughs> As one does. Yeah. And um, I wanted to work while I was there. There was no reason I couldn't. And so I did. I, I did my mediation from, from Panama. 
and um, you know I've had the opportunity to have clients all over the world at this point, which is not something that likely would have happened as quickly as it has for me. Uh, you know, just earlier this week, I had a, a case um, out of Minneapolis, you know, so it's been it's been a huge change. It's it's really opened up opportunities. It's kind of closed that kind of geographical divide that lawyers had. Um, it's like, oh, well, I work here. I don't work there. And it's like, well, you can actually kind of be everywhere. I mean, you need a bar license, but you know, you <laughs> those lim the physical limitations have now dissipated. Well, sure. No, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And um, well, look, and, and kind of shifting just a little bit, there are a couple of topics I also wanted to get your thoughts on. You know, we're talking about mediation and whether it's mediation, arbitration, or any of the other Asians that one can use to resolve a dispute. Um, it's all about that. It's about solving a problem. And sometimes, as I'm sure you've seen in, in your practice, sometimes there's just a fundamental disconnect between the two counsel, sometimes the counsel and the client. You know, you might see that there's an opportunity to resolve this, but maybe the sides just aren't seeing that. What have been, you know, to the extent you can say, some of the effective means by which they're trying to clear that log jam or trying to get parties to really come to grips with what's being talked about and not just talking past each other. Well, this is going to sound super simple, but it's really just brutal honesty. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm seeing, if I'm seeing something like I can tell you two don't like each other, but you need to get that together because you're just kind of, you're, you're blocking what is, is, uh, what is a possibility here. Um, we can we can work through that. So, you know, I will I will often see uh, attorneys who don't like their clients or vice versa. But here we are so far along in the process. They're not nobody's going anywhere. It's like a bad marriage, I guess. <laughs> you get for 30 years. Where are you going? Absolutely nowhere. Um, so on mediation day, if that's if that's a thing, you know, I will usually, you know, pull the attorney out of the room and say what what is going on? What is this energy that's happening between you? What can I do to help you kind of move past that? And often that can just be, you know, the attorney saying, well, I need to say A, B, and C to her, but I don't know how to say it. She's, she's angry at me. She doesn't really want to hear what I have to say anymore. Can you help me? Well, yeah, I can help you. That's what I'm here for, you know? Um, and so while I will have the conversation that needs to be had and sometimes vice versa it's like okay i see that you are having some difficulty with the attorney um you know and if the attorney is cool with it i will have the conversation with you know their client and kind of have them take a step back because ultimately the goal is to resolve the problem resolve the case get us to a point where everybody can move on for the day and if you can get everybody to kind of put their ego to the side uh, which is a heck of a lot easier to do with a third party involved to kind of take the heat mm -hmm. and and say the things that no one wants to say. Um, it's super helpful in in getting those conversations kind of had. You know, one of the TEDx talks that I did is on mastering the art of the uncomfortable conversation. And so sometimes you just have to, you know, take a deep breath and say it like <laughs> this is what it is. Um, and kind of let the chips fall. What I have what I have found is that if 
I'm seeing it, if I'm feeling it, if I'm thinking it, the other folks in the room know it's there. And so somebody just needed to say it and say it in such a way that it's a welcome conversation. It's nothing to be defensive about. It's not adversarial. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to say directly to someone, well, you upset me when you did X or I don't believe you anymore because you did Y. Um, and so, sure, I don't have the baggage with anyone else. So if I'm saying it, too, it's like, oh, OK, well, maybe maybe they weren't, you know, lying or maybe they weren't wrong. Uh, maybe I will think about this, you know, in another way. So um, truly, it is just straight up, blatant, old fashioned <laughs> honesty, couched, of course, in a way that I know that that particular person will hear it and understand it. So brutal honesty wrapped up in the way that's palatable to whoever you're delivering said honesty to. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, look, let's talk about Mediate Now, um, your podcast where you talk mediation. Yeah. Tell us about that. What's what, what's going on there? I love my show. And so I've, I've had uh, the, I guess I'm grateful. I've been so busy. I haven't been able to really do a whole lot on the show in, in several months, but I've got um, my next season kind of, kind of planned out. We're mapping it out. So we're excited about that. But the Mediate Now is, of course, about mediation, but it's also a lot more than that. We talk about uh, life in general and having those hard conversations and addressing our feelings and kind of what stops people from living their best lives. Um, I am I ascribe to the notion that mediation is in absolutely everything that we do. And so that's how I approach life. Uh, people, when you come in contact with someone, it's not just them that day. They bring the entirety of themselves, everything that they've ever experienced, everything they've ever known. They're walking around with it. That baggage is there, right? And I, so I hate to call it baggage because that has a negative connotation, but but you are stuff. the same. Stuff, yeah, baggage, whatever stuff. it is. Yeah. Maybe it's, I mean, I'm sure it's in a Louis, but you know, it is what it is, right? <laughs> you bring it with you. And so we have to be cognizant of what that looks like. And not only for other people, but very much so for ourselves. We only see, we can only see life through our own eyes and our own experiences. And so it, it's easy to say, no, they're wrong because ABC. It's like, well, you believe that because of what's happened to you. It is entirely possible to see this from, you know, uh, another direction. And so we, we talk about those things. And, you know, I also, of course, you know, being the, uh, I don't know, forward identifying mommy that I am, I talk a lot about what that's like and what it's like to be um, not only a working mom, but a very, very driven, highly focused career woman who somehow manages to take care of four small children. I don't know every day how it happens, but it does. They're here. They're fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. You said four and I got tired. <laughs> <laughs> 
goodness. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's a lot of hard work. Um, But those, you know, that's what we talk about. The things that kind of come up in my daily life and things I hear from friends uh, and things I see on LinkedIn, um, things that I think need more uh, more attention. I mean, we've had conversations about why you should negotiate your salary and and how you should do that and why it's important, especially for women to do those things. Right. And so we um, we just kind of dive right in and, and try to face whatever the conversation is with, with a whole lot of honesty. Well, it sounds like a great show. Um, well, look, two things. First, uh, when, when you uh, what do we have looking forward to upcoming on the show? Um, what, what should listeners be looking out for? Right now, I am very, very interested in the topic of depression uh, and mental illness and also autism. Uh, in my practice, you know, I, I meet new people every day. And what I'm seeing a lot of is, listen, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm seeing a whole lot of what appears to be uh, undiagnosed mental illness and mm. unresolved traumas. You know, people having outsized reactions to what on paper look like pretty simple problems and trying to get to, you know, the underlying reason for that. Um, There is a very clear difference. Um, So I, I do a lot of work with sex assault survivors. And there is a very clear difference between those who have had immediate and ongoing counseling and therapy and those who have not. And I mean, it is a drastic, drastic difference um, and kind of the the emotional spiral uh, and shame spiral that I see in people who have avoided uh, talking about it, right? Talking about what happened and trying to work through it. So. I am heavily invested in learning about that. So we're going to be talking about that on the show. I come across a lot of people who um, are, they have markers of what I see in folks with autism. I have a child on the spectrum, so I have already done a whole lot of research in that. And it's very interesting to see how many folks kind of have a lot of those um, kind of markers and and just trying to figure out how to best assist them with their negotiations and making sure we are all being sensitive and cognizant and aware of what, uh, for someone who is neurodivergent, um, what what their reality looks like and how they might speak their truth because it, it can look a little bit different and we all need to be sensitive to that, be open to that, not be making judgments, not holding people to kind of this neurotypical standard that we usually do. Um, and so I want to be talking about that. And of course, I want to continue to talk about how we can support women and minorities in uh, 
in non-majority, no, non-minority spaces. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what I what I meant to say. But how we do that and how we can develop programs to, um, you know, assist those who who come behind us and will come after us, and how we can continue to lift as we climb. So a lot. Yeah, that, that, that is a lot. Um, well, look, you let us know uh, when to expect new episodes. We can give you a shout out and we'll be glad to let our folks here at the TO, Team TOT um, head on over and check out Mediate Now. I appreciate that. Thank you. Of course. Now, look, one more question before we shift uh, kind of in towards the, the towards the end of the show. And that is there is a lot of um, conversation going on around the world in legal spaces um, across a bunch of different industries about the rise of the machines, AI, robots, all that kind of stuff. Um, do you think that it's going to affect uh, your world, ADR mediation, um, in any sort of meaningful way? Man, you know, I have been thinking about this for a few months now, and I want to say I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really want to see ADR change much right now. Um, it's such a specialized, individualized process. And I think um, that many people underestimate just how individualized it is and needs to be. Um, alternative dispute resolution is truly an art form, in my opinion. And to hand some of that off to a chat bot makes me very uncomfortable. I can see that going in going left um, and causing a lot of problems and, and misunderstanding. Um, but maybe not. I don't I don't I don't know, but I hope not. That's my answer. I hope not. Well, look, we'll, we'll log it here, and then in five years, when I'm replaced by a robot, we'll come back and say, "Robot Chris was it right and wrong," you know. Right, <laughs> hey, robot uh, winter will respond. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, look, um, shifting just a little bit, um, you know, one thing that I'm always curious to hear about when folks come to the digital studio is what have been some of your your guiding forces, impacts, influences on your career. You know, it sounds like your career has taken a lot of different stops. I'd be curious to know, you know, whether that's, you know, a book, a mentor, um, parents, anything like that, uh, to, to, to hear about what some of your influences have been. Well, I had a mediator mentor super early on. So, you know, right when I was starting out as an attorney, and, you know, I was super upfront with him, like, I want to do, you know, what you're doing. You do this every day. Um, you're doing private mediations every day. You're making good money. What, like, I want to do that. How do I do that? Um, and it, the answer he gave was, you need to work as an attorney for a very long time. Be be cognizant of, of who you're working with. Make sure you are working with people with good reputations. Make sure you meet a lot of people. Um, pay attention to trends in the law and uh, make sure you understand and are, you know, at least conversational in those areas. You know, what's popular? Can you do the work that's popular at the time? And so 
well, okay, here we go. And so I, I did. I sat and I made a, a very long list of kind of the things that I wanted to be um, conversant in and, and things I wanted to be more um, expert in, if you will. And I set about making sure I hit law firms that could teach me those things. And, um, you know, it was kind of awkward in because in, in every in every interview process. Right. They're like, why do you want this job? And I'm thinking because it's the next thing on my list. Um, <laughs> you know, they don't want to hear that. Hashtag honesty. Right. So right. Uh, but that was it. And I, I just i I focused. I knew what I wanted, and I knew where I wanted to end up, and nothing, nothing was going to deter me. I know a lot of people want to be mediators and arbitrators at, you know, kind of at the end of their career, um, and that was definitely not something that I wanted. I wanted this to be my career. Like I want to be, you know, young and still, I mean, relatively, and doing this, <laughs> you know, I'm under 65. That's what I'll say. Under 65. Look, look the Gen Z, we both are basically mummies. All right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like I talked to the little brothers who are my editors for this show. And like, Chris, just just do the editing like this. Just click the app. And I'm, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, no, no, <laughs> it's not mm -hmm. that easy for me. I'll let you do it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. Um, keeping right along on this trend, then, um, what are you reading right now? What's on your bookshelf? So I have to admit, I'm not a big reader. Got to I just got to say that. I oh, am. Oh no. I know. I know. Um, shockingly, I don't have a whole lot of free time. <laughs> so um, usually, what I do is I consume a lot of podcasts. A lot of podcasts, um, a lot of podcasts, a lot of TEDx talks, a lot of TED talks, um, trying to gather as much reliable information as I possibly can. Um, then I'll kind of go on like binges. So I'll be like, I'm doing true crime all month and I'll listen to absolutely everything and know all the things. Um, okay, right so now, what are your, uh, your podcasts? What are some of the podcasts I like? Yeah. Um, right now, I'm listening to like old episodes of This American Life of all things. I'm oh. just, yeah, love uh, This American Life. Not, I Very don't awesome. really know why, but love it. Um, I listen to the latest kind of, um, I guess, series for Serial. Uh, it's called um. the The Coldest Case in Laramie, which was pretty interesting. I would I would recommend it. It is short. It's only I think it was like six episodes or something so you can do it pretty quickly um now that i have somewhat of a commute in the morning again um, i can listen <laughs> to these things uh but yeah so that, that's really what i end up doing um one of my favorite favorite tedx talks um and i'll listen to it every once in a while it's called um the the art of not giving a f <laughs> mm. I think I've heard of that one. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And it's just yeah. um, you know, you, you you try to remind yourself that, you know, so many things are while they feel important in the moment, ultimately they are not. And it's like 
what am I going to devote my energy to? And so I often need to be reminded <laughs> to chill out. So, um, you know, that's that's really what I do. I listen to podcasts and, um, yeah, just trying to find new, fresh ideas uh, and information. So. No, it's very similar for me. Podcasts, um, audiobooks, YouTube. Um, those are my my go tos. I like to go for walks in the afternoon or when I'm doing chores, especially. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, well, how about music? Do you have any favorite artists, anyone that you like to turn on um, for whatever the occasion might be? So I have been obsessing over Hamilton, the Hamilton soundtrack. Mm. Or, mm. um, I mean, years now, but every once in a while, I will kind of come back to it and, and it'll be like a week long thing. So that's kind of currently where I am. <laughs> I'm back no, in that's, a, that's back solid. In um, that you're you're in good company. There have been many uh, Hamill fans um, on the show. I'm uh, Listeners will remember in season two, that was a whole thing. I could not escape it. Um, so, yes. <laughs> what, what, what are some of your favorite songs from the Hamilton uh, catalog? Oh my goodness. Um, my shot is my favorite, mm. but I mean, I can sit and listen to it from, from start to finish. I will skip the um, large portions of it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I got you. Yeah. I, mean, I can't help myself, but. I mean, because um, burn just make you want to cry. <laughs> right. I can't sit and listen to that every day. Like, whoops, <laughs> nope. Quiet uptown. No, I'm sorry. Take that energy oh, another know. day. The heartstrings. So I can, I will absolutely skip all of that. But you know, I'll be, <laughs> be walking around my house like it's quiet uptown. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And so it, it's funny because um, my my partner is uh, is not an American. <laughs> and so to her, I mean, yes, it's a good musical, but like the historical context, all the little <laughs> insights. She's like, okay, yes, I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the 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 cute like kind of eighties hip hop references and and all of that. Like mm -hmm. it, it goes over the heads of a lot of people, so I'm not I'm not shocked by that. I did. Oh my goodness, I met a oh, oh god, she must have been a relatively young Gen Z, um, and she wanted to have a conversation with me about how Hamilton was an immigrant like her okay but <laughs> so i was like except that it was a no <laughs> very I mean, different concept you are from ecuador um <laughs> uh, definitely not the same kind of a thing like the whole idea of him being an immigrant was you know for the musical um, yeah, so. and there, so that was an interesting conversation. I'll just say. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that has kind of been uh, one of the big critiques of uh, of Hamilton is that it kind of not whitewashes, but paints over some of the atrocities that were done by some of the main characters and reframes and recasts the historical context. I mean, you know, right, 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 for sure. Because to be big is so likable. You're like, oh, Thomas Jefferson was kind of a terrible person he was a terrible person you know there's that one part where he says um uh sally won't you be a deer or be yeah. a lamb and get my bags or something and i'm like oh my Makes god you cringe when you know the story yeah <laughs> and yeah. you know and i wonder like how 
how many people just completely miss he's talking about Sally Hemings and that is he's not talking mm -hmm. about his wife. Um, no, no. I mean, and, and, and that's not even to say before, you know, the, the Twitter mob, of course, because we have such a big viewership that Twitter mob would come after me. But that's not even to say that, you know, you can't understand that these people did valuable things that were useful to the country's history. But that doesn't erase the, the actual palpable human suffering across generations that they also caused. Correct. 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 It is. Um, complicated. Well, it is. And well, look, um, I, I see that we're drawing short on our time. I do want to run through the last few questions or so. Okay. Um, first, if you were approached by a student, recent graduate or someone looking to break into mediation, ADR or something similar, um, what advice would you give them? I would start by asking them what they envisioned their ADR career to look like because that will really change kind of how you would go about it. Um, I didn't want to do like the court appointed court run kind of stuff. I knew I didn't want to do that. I knew I didn't. Yeah. Um, I had participated in some of those as the lawyer and I was just like, I, I don't, I can't. Um, not to say that yeah. They don't run great programs. Um, they do, but that was not, that was not where I wanted to find myself. Um, I spent a lot of time very focused on learning the kind of ins and outs and nuances of the law, kind of the, uh, you know, the book learning aspect of it for a lot of things because I couldn't literally learn and practice all of the different practice areas that I wanted to, to be, you know, conversant in. Um, but not everybody wants to do that. Some people want, you know, some people are like, I really like construction law and I only want to work on construction cases. Well, then go to a construction firm with a really good reputation and stay there. Like if that's your thing, you know that, then do that. Um, if you want to be more varied like I was, it's going to you're going to have to move around a little bit uh, potentially. And, and I would also, you know, recommend if perhaps working on both sides of the kind of, you know, uh, both sides of the V, really. So claimants, defendants, figure out um, how everyone kind of ticks and how um, people view their cases differently and what's important um, to each side, just kind of logistically, um, monetarily, um, and how they're working their money, how they run their files. What's the business side of what they do? Because people are heavily motivated by money. So if you can understand how and why um, they do certain things, um, that would give you a leg up. Um, certainly spend as much time as you possibly can watching actual mediators do the work. Because I find a lot of people want to be in this field and then they get into it and they're like, oh wow, this is a lot more work than I thought it was gonna be. And like, yeah, this is <laughs> this is a real job, I promise. <laughs> what you mean I just I don't just show up and they just tell me the stories and I just kind of talk them through it. That's that's not mediation. Not quite, not quite, not quite. <laughs> I mean I gotta read and like prepare and stuff. Oh, 
Okay. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it's true. People really underestimate that. There's a whole lot of work that happens before, before I get there, after I leave, uh, you know, just um, having people kind of download all of their emotional negativity onto you every day is mm-hmm. exhausting. <laughs> it is exhausting. It is overwhelming. And it can sometimes be difficult to kind of shake that off at the end of the day. Um, and so, you know, if I have something that I know is going to be very emotionally charged, I will just take off the next day. Like I'm, I'm going to need to sleep. I know I am. So, you know, it has made, and for someone like me, who's not very good at maintaining kind of career boundaries, it's a little hard um, but I'm getting better. I'm improving day by day, giving myself grace. <laughs> no, that's that's absolutely makes sense. And I think that that sort of uh, very neatly goes into my my next question um, as we're starting to, to march towards the end. Let's say it's uh, it's 5 p.m. on a Friday. Um, nothing urgent coming, no work stuff on Monday, Tuesday. You can do whatever you want. Wait a magic wand. How do you spend that uh completely open weekend? Well, I would start my Friday evening at the Capitol Grill restaurant, Mm. which is very near my office. And I would have some sparkling rosé. Hey, okay. (laughs) Maybe some oysters, something like that, kind of chill. Um, I would spend Saturday maybe getting my hair done, maybe a mani-pedi, take the kids out um, swimming, um, hang out with them, order in because I would rather not cook. Um, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just have kind of lazy time with with the family, maybe send the kids off with my husband for a little while so I can get a nap at some point. But it would be... <laughs> it would be very low key and it would be family heavy. Oh, that sounds fantastic. That's a really great one. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this question. Where can people find you? You can find me at winterwheeler.com. Um, easiest to find me on LinkedIn, most likely. Um, if if anyone is interested in chit-chatting uh, winter at winterwheeler.com, try to keep it easy. Keep it simple. <laughs> And listeners, I will tell you, she is a great LinkedIn follow, quality content. Ah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh-huh. And well, look, the the, the truly final question of our, of our conversation, do you want to give any shout outs to the folks listening at home? Um, yeah, any shout outs? Oh, yes. Um, I absolutely know my my husband will be listening. And I just want to say thank you, honey, for <laughs> always putting up with how busy I am and uh, the fact that I refuse to sit still and being supportive and keeping the children quiet while I record this episode with you. <laughs> so thanks, Tom. Love it. Mean it. <laughs> Masterful um, at, at work. I had not heard a single peep. There have been more peeps on my side, I think. I have not heard a peep on your <laughs> side at all. Knock on wood, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, look, um, Winter, as, as it always happens, time has gone by extremely quickly. Um, we're at the end of uh, our time in the digital studio for today. Thank you so much for coming by. 
Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a fabulous conversation. I've wanted to talk to you for a long time. So this has been awesome. Well, igualmente. I'll say that. <laughs> mesmo, mesmo. Um, well, listen, uh, do you want to sign us off? Uh, sure. Um, I'm Winter Wheeler, and there's no disputing it. You're listening to Tales of the Tribunal. Thanks so much. And we will see y'all next time. Well, and there you have it. Winter has come. What a chilly, cool episode. And I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Thanks for coming by the show, Winter. We'll have to come visit your show sometime or have you come back to the digital studio another time. Not many end notes today, but if you're listening to this around the time of release, we are just a few days away from Juneteenth. In case you've never heard of this particular holiday, Juneteenth is a celebration of the end of enslavement of African-Americans in the United States in the wake of the American Civil War. Despite Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation and the Union's victory in the war, the last enslaved person was not liberated until more than a year after the conclusion of the conflict. These themes of justice, liberty, equality, and rule of law resonate loudly in the modern era in the United States, but really across the globe, where there are so many struggles for freedom, where authoritarians seek to quiet the oppressed by boot and by legislation. As we celebrate this Juneteenth, let us remember the occasion and think on what we can do and most importantly engage with in this fight against injustice wherever we see it. And on that note, we have a very special guest next week for our Juneteenth episode. We'll announce that on June 20th, but you won't want to miss it. Ooh, cliffhangers, that's right. You'll have to tune in or follow us on LinkedIn to find out more. Tales of the Tribunal is edited and produced by MoBeta Solutions with music and sound editing by Maurice, Joshua, and Jaden Campbell. Thanks for all you do, guys. Listeners, thank you for tuning in once again. Thank you for those that left a review last week. And especially if you liked and commented on one of our posts, we always see a great bump in the show after that. We're actually really excited because we're about to pass the 30,000 download mark. Absolutely wild. Thanks again for all your support. And until next time, there's no disputing it. You're listening to Tales of the Tribunal. None of the views shared on today or any episode of Tales of the Tribunal is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any person or party for their appearance on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearances should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.